Vital Educators podcast is hosted by self-development coach, investor, and renowned educator, Ahmed Saqib. Ahmed will speak to fellow educators, young professionals, ordinary people like you and me about their life choices that allowed them to become successful in their careers. He will also delve deeper into the psychology and their perception of success, the good, bad, and the ugly. For young students, he will discuss techniques to help you with your learning and development. Ahmed is committed to helping you determine what you want to do in life. He will share his own life experiences of self-discovery and self-realization that has led him to launch this venture. So this podcast is for anyone who wants to know more about various paths to becoming successful in any profession or passion. Hi guys, Ahmed here from Vital Educators. So today I have a very special personality on. Uh, he has been featured on ABC, CBS, NBC and Fox. He's a, a well-renowned speaker. He's a cybersecurity expert, most of all. Uh, he's a podcast host, host himself and he's an international best-selling author, Rick Jordan. Thank you, Rick, for coming on to the podcast, mate. Ahmad, man, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. I'm very grateful. <laughs> awesome awesome okay so there's a lot to cover i know that uh, you're big in cybersecurity, and uh, i have not had anybody on talking about cybersecurity um on the podcast yet so i have a lot of questions at me being a business owner myself what do you think is important Cybersecurity is important for a business man Cybersecurity it's laying that foundation that's the big part and just the biggest roadblock that I run into when it comes to cybersecurity is education. I love the title of your show, man, Vital Educators, because that's what I typically do when it comes to cyber is just education. And in that process, it's just the fact that you have to do something because there's a lot of misconceptions out there that it hasn't happened to me yet. It'll never happen to me, especially when it comes to small business, because they see that, oh, it's the big guys, the big corporations that are the targets like Target, Equifax, Marriott, all of those. Those are the ones that are getting hit. When in fact, I was talking about this the other day, those are the ones that can actually absorb that kind of a hit much better than a small business because they have the cash reserves. Their biggest liability is their reputation. Versus a small business, their biggest liability is their cash because once that's gone, they're done. Hmm. So, so how do you encourage people to use cyber or to see cybersecurity as a vital part of their business? Because a lot of people who are starting out, cybersecurity is completely an afterthought to them. Sure, it's an education process, my man, and that's a, again. I love the title of your show because of that. We typically start. My team typically starts when you know when I'm or when I'm speaking on stage, just talking about what they know, and that's a key component, really, to anything about education. Right? You start out where somebody already has some familiarity with the topic. So when it comes to cybersecurity, a great place to start. When I've interviewed people, mm-hmm. just even man on the street type stuff, when I've asked, "Hey, when's the last time you've been hacked?" Nine out of 10 will go to, oh, I had my debit card number stolen. I had money taken out of my bank account, not even from a business perspective, from a personal perspective. So that's how they view it. It's like, awesome. So that's where I'm going to start talking is talking about your credit card number being cloned, your chip and your credit Mm -hmm. card being cloned. And then we'll take it from there. We can build on top of that. Education is key, man. When you you just pick that commonality that somebody has some sort of familiarity with the topic already, even in the smallest sense, and then you can build on top of that. I like building where people know already. Hmm. That's very valuable. Okay. Based off of, of that, what kind of response do you normally get? Why do you think it's more important for small business to adapt cybersecurity earlier than later on? Because me being a small business owner myself, I'm thinking, okay, let me establish my business first. And then I'll think of once I, am, I have made a couple of millions, once I am where I want to be, then I will think about cybersecurity. How do you convince a guy like me that I need to think about cybersecurity now rather than later? Man, I love that question. And I I love that you're asking the tough questions too. In order to have a business, you have to have a bank account. It's that simple, right? Because you need to have to have somewhere for the money to be deposited into. If you don't have that, you're dealing in cash. It's stupid, you know? And some people even have an opinion that you, you can incorporate, you can form an LLC, whatever you want, but you're not a real business until you have a bank account. 
It's the same principle. It's that essential with cybersecurity to start from the beginning of it. It's not like you hop in a car and you don't have car insurance right away. At least most people don't because they see that as vital. And at some point in time in the past, there was a scenario, especially in the U.S. I'm talking, where vehicle insurance, liability insurance was not required by law. And everyone thought, maybe I can get away with it. At some point in time, some sort of cybersecurity methods will be required by law to do business. We already see this with government contracts. For example, the Department of Defense in the United States, which I have worked with, they require certain standards when it comes to cybersecurity. Medical facilities, law firms that deal with personal health information, you know, when it comes to medical malpractice or workers' comp, those types of lawsuits, they have to have cybersecurity measures in place by law. Eventually, it's going to be that way across the board. Even restaurants, for example, I know they've been hit hard by COVID recently, but restaurants have to have certain cybersecurity measures in place to accept credit cards. It's called PCI compliance in the US. If they don't have that, they get fined every single month. And even in my industry, this is the weirdest thing, man. This is the thing that boggles my mind, right? There's all these other regulations that are out there. But when it comes to a cybersecurity company like mine or an IT support company like some of the other services we provide, there's 142,000 of them in the, in the United States. I don't know the number across the world, but there are no regulations around my industry right now. How crazy is that? Mm. Probably because it's new. That's why the whole exactly. industry is new. You got it, man. And at some point in time, to your point, man, let's circle back around because vehicle insurance, car insurance, auto insurance was new at one point in time. At one point, the car itself, the the automobile itself didn't even exist. You make a fantastic point there is that this is generally new, or at least the awareness of it is a little bit newer because of all the technology that's integrated into different places of our lives now. And as people start to use it more and more, and unfortunately, as more and more breaches happen, especially at the personal level, more bank accounts get siphoned cash out of, then there will be more awareness. I know that's what it's going to come to, and it's going to come to some laws and regulations being passed on my industry too. That's I'm actually an advocate for that on the regulations in my industry, at least some sort of licensing or certification that's federally regulated. Reason being is because the Department of Homeland Security right now pegs the percentage at only 18% of us actually know what we're doing, which means a four out of five man don't know anything about this. They might have a little bit of clue, but they're not the ones you want to try to protect you because they don't know. And that's not even their fault necessarily. To your point again, it's because this is so new. And there's people that have been in this industry for 20 years, 30 years now, that maybe might be in the sunset years of their life looking at retirements. They're trying to tread water right now because this is something that is completely new and it's a new skill set that they don't have, a new competency that they don't have. It's not that they don't want to have it. It's just that it's very difficult to learn everything there is and everything you need to know. Man, I don't even know everything about cybersecurity, but I have people that work for me that have different skill sets and different competencies, different sub skills that make up that whole. You know, any cybersecurity client of, of mine of reach outs, there's six or seven people that touch their account every single day with different skill sets. There's no way a small business, large corporations, sure, they can have that internal team, but there's no way a small business can have all six or seven of those competencies and still be financially responsible or fiscally responsible in order to afford all those people. Okay. So you mentioned earlier that you are an advocate of regulation within this industry because it's so new. Eventually those regulations will come in. How do we, how can a business owner like myself uh, or anybody else who wants to integrate cybersecurity within their business will be able to distinguish between um, a a person who is legitimately a cybersecurity expert versus somebody who doesn't know what he's talking about or doesn't know what he's doing. That's a great question, my man. Uh, I don't have all the answers to that, but I could give some theories and some possibilities if that's okay with yeah. you. Uh, yeah, that's let's, uh, let's look at medical doctors. Medical doctors have to be board certified. So once they graduate from high school, they have, or sorry, from, from a university, they have a piece of paper that says, I can be a doctor now. Still, they have to go in front of a board of their peers to say, yeah, you really know what you're doing and we're behind you, whether it's a state board or a federal board within the United States, that's what they have to do. I know there's a lot of countries around the world that have something similar. You can't just get an education or do a residency as a medical doctor and then just jump in and operate on people. That's not how it works. 
you still have to be board certified at that point. I don't know if that's a great model for my industry, but it's, it's, it's an example of something. You know, and right now, even in my industry, let's say you do walk out of a university with a degree in computer science, that actually means less in my industry than experience does because things are changing so fast. I've been on curriculum advisory committees for universities in the Chicago area. And so I've had to leave because they are stepped down because they did not move fast enough. There's a lot of boxing into that traditional two to four year plan right now. And they're teaching things that are current as of today. But in two to four years, this industry changes so fast. By the end of that, they are already outdated and not ready to enter the workforce. Hmm. It's, I think the structure of the education in this industry is just ludicrous. The only way to learn this is to be educated and continuous in your education while you're gaining experience. They have to be hmm. simultaneous. Hmm. So if any um, cybersecurity expert that is watching or any person who's interested in cybersecurity, what kind of tools would you, uh, would you suggest that they should use in order to keep them up to date and educated at all times and stay with the current, basically? That's a great question. Tools to, to educate yourself in the industry. It's, one is you need to be in a job that is just constantly motivating you and pushing you to move forward. For example, my people, we've got a great team, but there is a continuing education requirement that exists to where they are required to take at least two courses that have some sort of certification every single year because things are just changing so much. And then there's people that are on the forefront of this too. There's certain vendors. Um, for example, Kyle Hansloven of Huntress, the, the dude is former NSA and came up with this artificial intelligence thing to just roam your networks behind, but he's an industry leader. He's a thought leader that stays on top of things. There's certain individuals to follow because the education is there. These, there's people like Kyle that stay out in front of the curve and continuously just consume every possible piece of information. But even with the education piece of it, they're, everyone's still trying to catch up. Even Microsoft is still trying to catch up on keeping their people certified and keeping their people educated in all the latest trends that are coming out. So it's really kind of an all hands on deck kind of a thing. You know, it's just like the military, really. I mean, you go into the military and you have boot camp, right? The boot camp is super, super short and it's super condensed and it just downloads and piles on a bunch of information to your brain immediately. That's kind of how cybersecurity is and how it should be from an education perspective is you need to take like a six week, 12 week boot camp and just pour into all this information, then what happens with the military? They go out and they exercise their skills immediately and they keep reinforcing all that education that they just consumed. And then after that, they want to be promoted. They want to do something else. That's fine. They have to have a certain period of years or demonstrate certain competencies in certain areas. And the rest of that is pretty much learning on the job and adapting to the scenarios that are it. I mean, cybersecurity can be a little bit like combat too. I mean, I've been in the middle of scenarios where I've been fighting China, literally, with two of my people on New Year's Eve and an active hack attempt into one of my clients where they were trying to steal intellectual property. This dude has 14 international patents. No way. Wow. It's crazy, I know. And, uh, yeah, that's, what, that's, that's the question that I want to ask you, actually, as well, because uh, you're an entrepreneur. Um, out of out of all all of this, you're an entrepreneur. Plus, you're in a space where um, cybersecurity experts, at least from the outside, are always um, what's the word I'm looking for? Considered as introverts, uh, people who just uh, are, are computer yeah, geeks, you're right, if I may say so. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to to label you guys, but <laughs> but here's you, who's who's extremely flamboyant and is, is very well spoken, who's done incredible work in that space, and 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 this industry is always evolving at the same time so it's kind of like you're climbing a ladder while you're building the steps to the ladder um so my question would be what makes you want to stay in all this uh, craziness dude i'm a little insane that way you're right on because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is it is a little crazy you know and i realized at one point this was about five years ago and this i think is key too because uh, one thing i teach everybody who's ever been underneath my umbrella is that the last step to learning something is teaching it. 
Yeah, and that's the part that really reinforces what's in your head. So you've consumed all this all this knowledge, you have this experience. It's right. You learn something new. Now you need to go out and teach everything you just learned because now you're you, it's regurgitation, but it's also taking your experience and now you're passing that on to somebody else. And in that moment, the teacher also becomes the student because you're teaching yourself at the same time you're teaching everybody else. The last step of learning is teaching. Uh, with everyone else that's out there, that's one thing that really keeps me involved in this industry is everything that I, I love teaching, man. I love bringing people up. I love filling them up with knowledge, giving them value, lifting them up in their industry, lifting them up in their life. That's something that drives me forward. Cybersecurity is kind of an outlet for that. And I love that it constantly changes because, man, I get bored fast. You know, and that's not typical of my industry, I know, because you're right, man. You know, you're talking about social skills. There are two types of engineers in my industry, which is kind of funny. Those who should never, ever leave a back room and talk to other people, ever. <laughs> yeah, but that's fine, because you know what? Those dudes are, and girls are so smart, and they're such linear thinkers that they can bust through certain tasks that I could never do. And they could do them a lot faster. It's a different skill set, a different way our brains are naturally programmed. Then there's people like me that just get out in front of everybody else that want to teach people. But the people in the back room are kind of the geniuses that are ruling the world because they're developing all those new methods. And then they teach me. But I, my skill set is being able to go out and lift up other people. So it's a, that's what really keeps me in this industry is that it it's constantly changing and constantly gives me an opportunity to be able to use my skill sets and my desires that fulfill me to lift up and protect everybody else. Hmm. And that's what propelled you to create Reach Out, which is the company, which is a cybersecurity education yeah. company that you have. You got it, man. Yeah. And we're shifting. Uh, I really, really feel that most cybersecurity firms or most IT support firms these days should be a media company first, should be an education company first. It's almost like everything we do from a technical aspect is just kind of the nuts and bolts in the back end behind the curtain, if you will. But on the front end, there's a very, very human component to anything related to technology. Why? Because what's the reason we create technology? It's for people to use. And when people use it, there's no way they can understand all of it. And there's no way anybody programming, even AI on the back end, could possibly anticipate every single behavioral response or neurological response that a real life human could ever throw at it. It's impossible. There's still and always will be a front and foremost human component to anything related to cybersecurity or technology. I love that aspect, man, because I am so social. I, I love being around people. That's what this industry does for me is it allows me to continue to be that social guy, to be that dude that's able to stand in front of people and bring them along on the journey. Mm. Let's go back to, say, um, 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Um, say you, when you were... I don't know. I don't know why I said twenty years. I don't know how old you are. I'm sure you're pretty young. Let's I'm say 40, ten years. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's say you were first entering into cybersecurity. Given the personality type you have, what made you want to think that this is the industry that I want to go towards? And that's a that's a fantastic question. You know, when I was a, if we take it back thirty years, thirty years was when I built my first computer, and I just wow. found it interesting. So when I was ten, I, I built the components to my first computer. And it was a it was a Tandy. Nobody really even remembers that name right now, but it was a it was a company, a parent company for Radio Shack. Radio Shack was worldwide. Tandy was a big name. They're bankrupt now. But then ten years after that, when I was twenty, I was pulled out of a warehouse by somebody that saw something in me. And man, this is so important because we're talking about education. I would not be where I am today without the mentors that I've had along the way. It's impossible. Because there has to be somebody that sees something in you. You can push and you can strive and keep trying to make your own path, which I do a lot of the times. And now I bring people up in those paths. I've, I've become that mentor. I've become that educator. But you need to surround yourself with people that could potentially see greatness in you. And that's what this dude did. He pulled me out of a warehouse and said, I think you've got an aptitude for this. So he shoved me into this thing, trained me on the job. I, it's that boot camp thing that we were talking about. Six weeks and I was in this and I, I was looking at all the security measures and all the ways, all the networks to deploy to Merrill Lynch, which is a now division of Bank of America. They used to be their own brokerage back in the day. And I deployed 20,000 servers and 150,000 computers across all their branch offices in the United States. It was, it was baptism by fire. 
It was cutting my teeth on the hardest possible way to chew. But that's what I believe is necessary in this industry. Yeah, and that's one thing that attracted me to it, too, is that you could just dive into it so fast. Because you know, I think it was Walt Disney Man who said, at some point, you have to stop planning and start doing. And there is no other quote that applies to the cybersecurity industry or the IT industry or technology in general as that. It's perfect. It's apropos because it changes so quickly. The only way to get involved in this industry is to dive right in. I will take somebody with one year of solid experience over somebody with a six years master degree out of a university any single day because they've been in the trenches and they've seen the real world, not just the theoretical scenarios that are put in forth by education, the, at least around this. But remember, like we were saying, they still need to be simultaneous. You still have to continue. You still have to consume a lot of information. You still have to intake everything you possibly can and then apply it immediately the very next day. So if young Rick Jordan uh, listening to this right now, what would you recommend yeah. to him that he should do? Should he get a degree or should he go straight and get his boost dirty and learn on the job? Yep, learn on the job. There are boot camps that exist in this industry and they're about six weeks long. They, they dive you right in and I, I think it's the best structure that we have right now. I still think there needs to be something else. And when we were talking about regulations, I feel that those regulations need to apply to those also, but it has to be accelerated, man. You know, I, I don't know across the, the entire world, but I know the, the state of the education system in the United States is not fast paced enough in general. We're talking about technology. My fourth grader was coding a few years ago. He's in eighth grade now, and he started coding when he was just in fourth grade. Why? Because those brains, man, they can handle it when they're super, super young. And anybody that doesn't know how to code, I mean, I know how to because I was doing it when I was in my teens, which was unheard of. I was accelerating because it just seemed interesting to me. That's great. But now it needs to be part of a curriculum, period. And you know, I even pulled my kids out of public school this past year before all the COVID stuff hit because everything was not fast paced enough for them to consume the amount of information that I knew they were capable of. And they were being held back in learning things as fast as they should be able to. That was just something that really touched my heart when I saw these other opportunities. They're in an online private university right now. It's not homeschool. They have teachers that they text message, they Zoom with. They've been in this new model of an education system, which has done wonders for them. And they're accelerating beyond everybody that's in the, the standard public school system. That's the same thing that would happen with a young Rick Jordan, 20 years, who's, who might be 20 years old right now, when they're looking at a degree. If they put themselves in an accelerated program like a boot camp, and they're literally called that, and then they get on the job within six weeks, they're going to be so much happier, man. I mean, we haven't even touched the debt scenario that happens with some of the universities yep. that exist. Yep. Well, so what you know, that's one of the things that, yes, these things could be expensive, but the boot camps are maybe 15 grand, you know, for something like that, for that six weeks, $15,000 US dollars. And when they get out of that, though, they are immediately making money at a level that they could not have even with a degree because they have certain industry certifications, which is something else that I look at. And so immediately they're able to knock down that debt within just a couple of months, not 10 or 20 years. Hmm. So uh, t talk to me about uh, how, how um, could you name me some boot camps so people are listening, they can easily jump onto that? Yeah, you got it. Microtrain is probably the one that I would send most people to, M-I-C-R-O-T-R-A-I-N. And that's, a, that's an education company that will teach a lot of different competencies, whether it's from Microsoft, whether it's from Cisco, whether it's from SonicWall, which is a firewall company, a whole bunch across the board, or CompTIA. CompTIA is a good place to start. It still is. It's some of the basic certifications that you can obtain. And doing a, doing a cybersec or a network security boot camp might take you 12 weeks because you have to go through two other competencies first in order to get to that point. So they build the foundation, but it's at such an accelerated pace. And then within that, those three or four months, you are ready to enter the industry and gain that experience. Hmm. So, so uh, l let's talk about the fees that you were talking about, the, the 16 to $20,000. Um, yeah. Are, are there any loans available for that or is it completely self-funded? Oh, yeah, man, there's definitely loans available. And, you know, there's no better time right now, at least in the United States because of COVID, 
to jump into this because one of the biggest things that really just lifted me up when I saw this is that there's a lot of states, it's not federal programs, but there's a lot of states within the United States that now have grant programs specifically because of COVID and specifically to jump into cybersecurity. They see this now. You want to know why, dude? Because a lot of the unemployment systems, there were several states that are still written on 30 and 40 year old technology for their computer systems for unemployment. And they've gotten hacked hardcore over the past several months with fraudulent claims and people getting money that are just ghost people. They don't even exist because they've been hacked in this way. And now this is what this is bringing our conversation full circle, man. It's going to take tragedies, unfortunately, you know, or big breaches at in a very, very public sense to make people realize that this is something that we need to protect ourselves about. Because think of all the people that now with COVID that are out of work that are unemployed and state unemployment funds have been extremely depleted in most states because of all the fraudulent activity, because they've been hacked. So now there's all the states that are saying, hey, maybe we should do something about this. Let's raise up a virtual army of people that actually know this stuff because now we've been hit hard. It doesn't look good for us from a publicity perspective, but we're also recognizing the generalized and genuine need that exists for cybersecurity. So now there's so many grant programs, man, for those funds, for those boot camps that exist right now. There is no better time to jump in. Hmm. And obviously these attacks, as you say, are only going to increase. So the one that you were talking about, China, the another one comes to my head is North Korea attacking Sony and releasing all of oh, their yeah. yep. all of their stuff online. So, so, so you're absolutely right. Talk to me about what's going through your head. And I'm, I'm sure now it'll be much easier for you uh, because you've seen enough of these attacks to, to, to make yourself comfortable with it somehow. But, uh, but yeah. imagine, I just, I just want to go, I just want to understand as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you know, somebody's, somebody's hacking through the system. Somebody's trying to get into a system uh, from China, or from wherever. What's going through your head? How are you handling the situation in that, in that sense? Because it's timely. It is very timely. Yeah. And it's an active, it's a very active scenario. One thing that a lot of the hackers like to do, you know, in situations like I described before is they will bounce around the world as far as an IP address. And you kind of have to follow them because they're constantly trying to throw you off their trail so that you cannot block these things in the middle of an attack, you know, and there's ways to, I mean, there's the old school way of just pulling the plug so that they can't access things anymore, but that's not really possible anymore. You know, because a lot of these things are very cloud related now, you know, so you can't, I cannot pull the plug on Microsoft. I cannot pull the plug on Amazon for their elastic cloud computing. You know, there's other ways to, to cut off that line, so to speak, but it's much more efficient to have a response plan in place. And that's the huge part of this, man, because a lot of cybersecurity companies, I think this is what really separates the men from the boys in cybersecurity is that response plan. There's a lot of focus on prevention. There's a lot of focus on we're going to put all these layers in place that they're thinking there's almost a fallacy, you know, kind of like the the wearing a mask thing with COVID, right? I don't know what you believe, but, mm. you know, nobody really, <laughs> nobody really knows, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> everyone's thinking maybe, maybe it'll work. And that's a very similar analogy to cybersecurity because we're putting all these layers in place thinking maybe it'll work, you know, even though everyone has a different strategy and a different opinion on what's actually effective, whatever. Still, there is nothing. The point is, just like a mask with COVID, there is still nothing that is 100% effective or 100% protective. That's something that everybody has to understand in this industry. And this is what separates the men from the boys is the men will say, you know what? That's great. We put all these preventative measures in place, but we need to have a response plan. We need to make sure that something is in place and we're going to have out a very streamlined strategy and plan of counterattack when you get breached. It's not if you get breached, it's when you get breached because it will happen. It's It's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this question then. What kind of exact steps as a new business owner like me needs to take to make sure that I am a take uh, uh, I, I can prevent this and also have a strategy that if or when it does happen I have a proper response plan already in place what kind of steps do I need to take to get there great question my man I'll tell this to anybody even on the personal side not even just on the business side but the first step is you need to freeze all your credit reports 
every and it's completely free in the United States. You know, different countries have different credit reporting agencies around the world. I understand that. There's different ways to freeze your credit reports, especially in the United States. That way, nobody can spoof your personality, spoof your identity. That you're not going to have new accounts open in your name, which is something that can come back on you. And everyone says, oh, you're never responsible for it. You know, there's even laws that exist in the United States now that say you're not responsible for it. But going through that is so mentally tumultuous that you will just be spent. You'll never want to do anything again when it comes to business because you just went through this very taxing scenario mentally. Uh, so freeze your credit reports. You can unfreeze them on a dime with an app on your phone and freeze them back up again as soon as you apply for the credit that you need. It's that simple. I do it on mine and it takes two seconds to unfreeze it. I apply, the inquiry passes, I refreeze it five minutes later. It's super simple, man, and the best step you can take immediately from a general consumer or public perspective, but especially for small business, because small business owners, man, our information is out there way more than the general human. There's so much more public information known about a small business owner down to their home address and everything else than there is just the general public, because we put our stuff out there all the time. It's not like we're just maintaining a life and then that's it in all of our different accounts. You know, there's over two dozen different business accounts that I have as a small business owner, because I'm, I'm dabbled into so many different things. There's so much more to protect from a small business perspective. Dude, if I were to go back now to, from a cybersecurity perspective, I would have a CFO, a fractional CFO in place immediately. I think that's one of the best hires I've ever done. And it's outsourced. How does that relate to cybersecurity? Well, it has to do with your money. They're going to set up strategies and part of that response plan if your cash goes away. They're going to, this is part of the response. Remember we were talking earlier how the large corporations, they have cash reserves. Small businesses don't necessarily have those cash reserves. A, a good CFO, a good, even fractionalized CFO, they cost maybe ten dollars to $15,000 a year. That's it. Not the two hundred dollars to two hundred fifty thousand dollars is somebody being full-time on your staff, but they will set up those financial contingency plans as a small business, which needs to be part of your response plan to some sort of hack so that you can stay afloat and get through that crisis. Something to, where you can still make payroll, something where you can still get product in if that's the case, or still pay your cost of goods to deliver your services. That's the biggest part of a response plan. And it's not even technical. That's the, the funny thing. So this is, these are the things that I actually go with with my clients that I'm consulting on a cybersecurity perspective that are just very non-technical but extremely highly human. That's what a response plan needs to be. What kind of steps that I, we need to take as new business owners to make sure that we can prevent and also plan uh, to make sure that we don't, uh, uh, we don't get hacked essentially? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, there is the prevention side. And we we're also talking about a response plan, which is one of the keys to that. So you can put all the layers in place. There are, uh, there's great companies that are out there, those 18% that actually serve small businesses, you know, that reach out as one, but like reach out to where they have all those competencies. You don't ever try to bring everybody in house because you can't, you can't afford to do that. It's impossible. You need those six or seven different competencies. However, I'll tell you exactly what I do because the response plan, when you actually do get breached, is very non-technical. You know, for example, I, I think my first hire should have been years ago, a virtual or a, a fractional CFO, a fractional chief financial officer. Because remember when we were talking about the large corporations before and how they have the cash reserves to weather the storm of a breach? You know, the small businesses don't have those cash reserves. The biggest hit to the large corporations is reputation. The biggest hit to small businesses is their cash. Once that's depleted, they're done. You know, people say cash is king. You know, cash flow might be king. But if they use those re lose those reserves in some sort of breach or have to pay attorney's fees or whatever, they're out of business because they can't even fund payroll at that point. A fractional CFO, they might cost anywhere between ten dollars and $25,000 a year. When this is an individual who would generally cost two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars a year if you had them on full time, you know, if you're doing five hundred thousand dollars a year, a million dollars a year, you don't need a full time CFO. However, you do need their expertise because what they will do for you is put contingencies in place, whether it's lines of credit or different cash availability options to get yourself through some sort of a breach. 
You know, that's one key component of a, especially for small business in their response plan is having available cash to continue the operations of their business, even with purchasing products to sell or paying their employees, making payroll. Th there's cash that's needed for that. If you run out of cash, burn through cash protecting yourself, or you get that just completely sucked out of your bank account, like I've had people happen before with with different breaches and hacks that they've been, unfortunately been a part of, now you can't operate. A fractional CFO will be part of that very vital response plan to make sure that you have those contingencies in place, access to cash. So while it's not technical, it's very highly human. Hmm. So, so what percentage of net profit would you think or would you suggest, would you normally see somebody should spend on their cybersecurity? Dude, I love this question. I absolutely love this question. I'll give you a, uh, I'll give you a general overall because there, as far as your technology, and I'm getting into your communications, your phones, all of that, mm -hmm. and this is going to freak people out and sticker shock <laughs> them. Right? Just, well, yeah, it's typically between 4 and 7% of your revenue. Not of net profit, but of your revenue, because your costs are variable with something like this, because it, with most of it, you have when you increase your revenue, you do increase you do have variable costs. You have fixed costs, but then you have variable costs in business. If your revenue increases, generally speaking, your costs are going to increase, too which means you typically have more people because what's the biggest expense in any business really is payroll, people, your labor. Though as you continue to generate more revenue, that typically means you're providing more services or you're selling more products, which means you, you need to fulfill more shipments. You need more people for the most part with something like this, unless you're an exclusively dropship business working on Amazon, which is not the case for most people. Most of us are providing some sort of physical product or some sort of physical service. That's how small business works. Now, when it comes to that percentage, it's four to 7% of your revenue. Now, when you're smaller and just starting out, it's typically on the higher end because you have less efficiencies. You will be at that 7%, maybe even spiking up to 8 or 9% at some point. As you grow larger, your cost of doing business generally drops and you can put more automation in place. And corporations are this way. The large corporations are on the smaller side because they're just bigger. And they have more efficiencies in place. They've been around for a longer time period. They're they're usually at that 4% range because they've been able to put in these automations and efficiencies along the way. But when you're just starting out, dude, you know how it is. You're a maverick entrepreneur. You just do what it takes to get the job done, to deliver your product, deliver your service. It doesn't matter. You're just doing what it is, putting in the long hours, everything else. You're not very efficient when you're just starting out. It's impossible to be. You're just trying to figure things out rather than being efficient. Uh, your costs will be higher, especially on cybersecurity, because you're going to try different ways of fulfilling those products, fulfilling those services in order to be efficient. And there's different cybersecurity measures that will be needed for whatever methods you're going to try. Hmm. And so with your company, do you also help with automation as well? Do you facilitate the business to get to that 4% or do you not? Oh, we absolutely do. Yeah. And that's, a, I always say there's no magic wand. It's not an overnight process. It's typically between 18 and 30 months to get all of that automation and processes in place. And the reason for that, the technical side of it, man, the, 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 you know, the, the computers and the firewalls and everything else and all the security measures that are very technical can be done within 90 days. There's a part of that that's extremely cookie cutter, but the rest of that time is learning the people that exists in that business, learning the processes that they have in place and poking holes to find weaknesses in information that could get out because of a human or ways that humans can let people from the outside in. That part takes a lot of time to do. And then that becomes a part of their standing oper standard operating procedures. So if there's a small business, there's a lot of things that you can do right off the bat. You know, you, you need a great firewall, you know, if we're getting technical, you know, everyone thinks that antivirus is going to save the day. It's not because especially the ones that you can go buy at a Best Buy or something like that. They don't do the job anymore. That's 30 year old technology. Isn't that crazy? And they're still selling it when it doesn't do anything. There's a, you want to look for next gen, next generation antivirus. It's AI and behavioral based because it actually analyzes the stuff that's going on in real time. The old technology was fingerprint based. So if it looked like a virus, think of like even COVID, man, you can identify COVID because of the protein strains, the genetic material, the RNA. That's how computer viruses used to be. Now, 
when they pop in, you know, whether it's a phishing attempt or ransomware, whatever it is, they're different from computer to computer, not just across the world, but even inside your office from six feet away from you, 10 feet away from you, whatever computer is in that next office over to your colleague, your coworker, it will look different. It mutates immediately to hide from these fingerprint-based things. That's the 30-year-old tech man. You need something that can analyze these in real time and check out the behaviors that this virus is trying to do because that's what doesn't change. If they're still trying to contact something in a server in North Korea to send your information to, it's going to do that every single time. It's the it's almost like the symptoms that you're looking for rather than the virus itself. Hmm. And you're also making a film now on all of this right now as well, as we speak. Yeah, and government That's overreach, you got it. Yeah, and there's different. There's definitely a lot of cybersecurity that exists there because there, there was, um, in, related, in relation to COVID, yes, you're absolutely right. It's called Liberty Lockdown. It's masks off this summer. And it's, it's really just getting perspectives from a lot of different people. I mean, we've got some pretty great people that have signed on, even from the education perspective. Sam Sorbo is one of them. You know, the, the former actress who's a, a huge advocate advocate for great and better edu education in this country. She's amazing, man. I interviewed her at her house and uh, met Kevin, her husband, who is Hercules in the TV show a, a little while back. And it was, a, it was a good interview talking about the state of education in this country. And there's a lot of it. We're going to be talking about the unemployment stuff, the breaches that took place there, because remember, we were talking about the response plan. Even when it comes to cyber, the states were not ready. They did not have a response plan in place for all of these hacks into the unemployment systems. That's why they're scrambling now and taking a lot of heat because of all these people not getting their unemployment checks. It's very sad, man. I was interviewing so even in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago because it's opened back up. I was doing some street interviews with some of the Vegas girls and I asked them questions, man. I'm like, when, when did you come back to work? And it was just, well, this is actually our first day back, our first hour actually. I said, awesome. Did you guys get unemployment checks? They said, no, we never got them. Even though they were out of work wow. for three months because <sighs> of the security hacks into the state's unemployment computers. Hmm. That's terrible. It is terrible. But at the same at the same time, so let me become let me be the devil's advocate here. Yeah, man. Um and I'll ask ask you a question about hackers who have done things well to them in favor of their communities. So Edward Snowden comes to mind, for example, or Aaron Schwartz come to mind. I don't know whether you know who that is. Because everybody knows who Edward Snowden is, but people uh, not a lot of people know who Aaron Schwartz was. So uh, what do you say to hackers like that, that, that are saying that, well, we need hackers so that from a political standpoint, we can expose what the government is doing in, uh, and, 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 and basically not opening themselves up to the scrutiny of the public? Yeah, that's a great question, man. And here's what I see as a difference, right? So they're, they're almost like vigilantes, you know, outlaws that are almost kind of like pirates. You know, if I think back, I always like to think of... Uh, the Disney movies, Pirates of the Caribbean, with uh, with Johnny Depp's character Jack Sparrow. Right? Even though he was a pirate, he still had a good heart, and he was still trying to do some things that are good, but in in some not so good ways, in some bad ways. You know, I see that related to people like Aaron Schwartz and Edward Snowden. Or, yeah, because they are trying to do good, sort of, but I, I question their motives, man. You know, and I don't know if it's publicity or anything else, because that's the part that we really don't know about is what are their motives and why are they doing this? Are they anarchists to where they're just trying to get this information out there? Are they generally in it for the people themselves? Or is that just something that they're saying so they don't get as much heat and can be looked at in a hero perspective? You know, that's a question that we can't answer. And for something like that, it's almost I, I agree that there needs to be 100% more transparency in a lot of things that governments do. I'm making a film about it right now. I'm 100% on that side of the boat, man, is that there needs to be more transparency. What that looks like is not people that are that are shaking things up because I don't see these individuals as, uh, as starting a revolution. You know, it's not like the United States, you know, or the colonists were breaking away from England, you know, to, to preserve their basic human rights. That's not the case here. You know, it's people that are that have an obvious agenda. Look at Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, he's the same way, man. I, I'm trying to teach my industry, educate my own industry right now. I have a live training series coming up. I have a, li a live event coming up later this year. And there are ads running on social media right now that we're getting flagged 
as MLM, multi-level marketing. I'm not Amway. I'm out there put with partnering with industry experts that provide other cybersecurity solutions and say, we want to bring you the best possible information that exists just because we want to. They're free. There's no marketing. There's no making revenue on this. It's just because I have that obligation because I was that person that was broke a while back and I want to help these people build a really solid business and a better life. But yet they get flagged by Facebook as MLM. Why? Because Zuckerberg, who is really powerful because of what he controls on the platform, is against multi-level marketing. I don't really like it either, but he has programmed his algorithms to shut that stuff down. And then it had to go to a human for an appeal. I see Edward Snowden and Aaron Schwartz sort of in that same way, man, because they're reflecting their opinions. They are by far not unbiased. They're extremely biased because of the, the scenarios that they've been through. Versus somebody like Elon Musk, I don't know if you saw this a couple of weeks ago, he tweeted that he is going to put something in place, a website, it's going to run on AI, but it's going to track the credibility of media outlets and individual reporters over a period of time and score them on their credibility. He blames the media, he blames Facebook, he blames, blames Twitter for years ago for Tesla sales and stock plummeting. And now with everything going on, he sees the need for some real transparency, just like what we're talking about right now. So let's track these things. And that's just good. So if it's somebody that is for transparency and that's really what they're trying to bring rather than being a whistleblower or focus on a specific agenda, I think that's a different story because I guarantee you, man, ethics, this is about my, this is a statement in my book that ethics is almost always an economic proposition. Money is almost always involved when somebody crosses the line. And That's true. someone like Snowden, I'm sure, I'm positive 100% that he could be purchased to do whatever you want to do. That's not unbiased. But if that was the case, then why would he be why wouldn't he be used by Russia right now because he's he's hiding there? That's another thing that comes to my mind because if um, his whole argument was, and his, in, in, this is in his own words in his book, is that um, there is, uh, he said, I have no problem with government doing what they're doing. It's just that people don't know about what they're doing. People need to at least be aware that they that, that the government is spying on them. This is his again. I'm, I'm paraphrasing his own words, um, and 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 they it's, it's up to the people to make the decision whether they would like to be spied on or not. NSA, CIA, FBI cannot make that decision from within. And he said, I, I remember reading. I think this was probably the sixth chapter or the seventh chapter. He he says that if 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 the people. Uh, if he said if he had raised him his voice within the organization, they would have shut him down based on he, the fact that he had no backing and no influence within the organization because there were so many powerful people up at top um, who knew about this and they weren't willing to do anything. And that's why he had to go through the whistleblowing route. Yeah. So what would you say to that? I would say that he might have some some motivations that exist there. You know, I, I don't know his personal background. I wish that I did. And that's something that I would love to look into. I know his professional background and why he did the things that he did. But to your to your point, man, I'm with you in the fact that there is transparency that's needed. And that was his way of doing it. But in order to affect real change, it's not something that can be done on your own. In any great nation that's risen up, it's never been a one-man Lone Ranger kind of show. And that's where I see some problems is that he's just a disruptor in a bad way because he's trying to go his own, go it on his own and do this route. So if there was not an agenda and there wasn't self-preservation or, or different ways he was trying to gain himself, he would be part of a team that's trying to do this. That's a, that's a personal belief and a personal opinion of mine when it comes to Snowden and anybody else is that it's it, really, it has to be, that's one thing I've learned, man. In order to build something great and to affect real change, you have to have a great team that's supporting you and is walking in lockstep with you. You can never go it alone. Mm. That's that's very valuable. I mean, I'm uh, and like you said, I mean, I'm sure he had his motives, um, and 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 that's the sort of thing that things that you address that you are trying to address in your yeah. in your film, and uh, you did obviously talk about it in your book, Situational Ethics, as well. So 
moving yeah. forward what do you see um in terms of cybersecurity what do you see is the most important aspect to talk about from an education standpoint what do people need to know obviously they obviously need to know about about the fact that they can be attacked and they they it will happen but from 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 causing a permanent change within the system within this environment within the cybersecurity industry what do you think is the most important thing that you that that needs people need to know yeah, the clearest part of education is really around emails that you receive. Everybody, everybody's had email for the longest time, and it's really kind of. I saw some the other day, man, that were based around COVID, and even based around places like Chick Fil A, and they were phishing emails just to get you to enter your credentials. You know, the, there was one that I had as a DM because I'm very active on social media. Obviously, someone said, "Hey, I used four photos of you to make this really cool thing. Click this link, and when you click it, you have to enter your Instagram password." That's not real stuff. You know, so anytime, this is the biggest part of education. Anytime any website is asking you that's not that website to enter your credentials for something else, that's when you need to be wary. There's a lot of collaborations across the board with everything, but email is one of the easiest ways to get in right now. You know, all the hackers, like the, the situation where I was fighting with China a few years ago on behalf of my clients. You know, that was like their one of their silver bullets, right? Because the, this dude had 14 patents. The general public or even a small business doesn't have 14 international patents. <laughs> they don't have that intellectual property to protect. So some place like China, North Korea, Russia, they're not going to waste that silver bullet on you because it takes time, research and development, real money to actually find those vulnerabilities in the first place. And they're not going to waste literally millions of dollars on someone that has no, no nothing really of high value, you know. But for those small things like fifty thousand dollars here, a hundred thousand dollars there, they use email because they know that people are the human beings are the biggest vulnerability that exists. Almost everybody within some company, whatever it is, small business corporations, there's always one people or several really that will click on anything. So keep educating yourself as far as what's real and what's not. Look out for Chick-fil-A because that's a big one right now. Look out for Chase Bank in the United States. Look out for anything that's talking about COVID because those things, especially like petitions when it comes to COVID, because there's people that feel one way or the other, whether it's wearing masks, whether it's about the stay-at-home orders, whatever it is, they, everybody has an opinion right now and everyone has a side of the fence that they're falling on. So no matter what it is, don't fall for that stuff to sign a petition for these things right now. Look it up and do your research and educate yourself. That's a, I, I'm sure you'll agree with me on that, my man, is that self-education is still probably my favorite form because you're able to reconcile and fact check everything on your own without the opinions of others swaying you one way or the other. Hmm. Invaluable information, Rick. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on. You bet, my man. Where can people find you? Oh, at Mr. Rick Jordan. That's on all social media platforms. Uh, my podcast is all in with Rick Jordan. That's everywhere along the lines. And libertylockdown.com, that site will be up very shortly with a teaser trailer for the film that's coming out in just a few short weeks. Brilliant. Fantastic. Teaser trailer. Thanks, okay. So that's on YouTube, is it? Uh, the libertylockdown.com will be independently distributed. Then it, we're planning it'll be on Amazon and also iTunes to be purchased. Fantastic. Thank you so yeah. much, Rick. Maybe Netflix. Be... Cross your fingers. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. I'm hopeful of that. I really want that yeah. to happen. Thank you. This was such an incredible chat with you. Uh, and I Great. got to understand and learn so much. And I really appreciate you coming on. You're such a... So you're doing incredible work. And you're, you're such a personality. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so Thanks. much for enlightening me. You bet, my man. Thank you. I'm grateful for you having me on. I love it. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. All right. Take care. You too. This was Vital Educators Podcast by Ahmed Sakeem. Hope you enjoyed. Please follow or subscribe for more content every week.